The Brinton Quartet was the utmost that any sane imagination could have pictured, and Lucia's extremely sane imagination had pictured just that, with such extreme vividness that it had never occurred to her that it could be anybody else. Certainly Olga should have put Spanish Quartet in the bottom left-hand corner instead of music, and then Lucia would have known all about it, and have been speechless with emotion when they had finished the Beethoven, and wiped her eyes and pulled herself together again. It really looked as if Olga had laid a trap for her. Even more like a trap were the horrid events of this evening. Trap was not at all too strong a word for them, to ask her to the house, and then suddenly spring upon her the fact that she was expected to talk Italian. Was that an open and honourable proceeding? What if Lucia had actually told Olga, and she seemed to recollect it, that she and Peppino often talked Italian at home? That was no reason why she should be expected, off-hand like that, to talk Italian anywhere else. She should have been told what was expected of her, so as to give her the chance of having a previous engagement. Lucia hated underhand ways and they were particularly odious in one whom she had been willing to educate and refine up to the highest standards of Rhizome. Indeed, it looked as if Olga's nature was actually incapable of receiving cultivation. She went on her own rough, independent lines, giving a romp one night and not coming to the tableau on another, and getting the Spanish quartet without consultation on a third, and springing this dreadful Pentecostal party on them on a fourth. Olga clearly meant mischief. She wanted to set herself up as leader of art and culture in Rhizome. Her conduct admitted of no other explanation. Lucia's benevolent scheme of educating and refining vanished like morning mists, and through her drooping eyelids the firelight seemed strangely red. She had been too kind, too encouraging. Now she must collect her forces round her and be stern. As she dozed off to sleep, she reminded herself to ask Georgie to lunch next day. He and Peppino and she must have a serious talk. She had seen Georgie comparatively little just lately, and she drowsily and uneasily wondered how that was. Georgie by this time had quite got over the desolation of the moment when, standing in the road opposite Mrs. Quantock's mulberry tree, he had given vent to that bitter cry of, more misery, more unhappiness. His nerves on that occasion had been worn to fiddle-strings with all the fuss and fiasco of planning the tableau, and thus fancying himself in love had been just the last straw. But the fact that he had been Olga's chosen confidant in her world's scheme of causing Mrs. Weston and the Colonel to get engaged, and the distinction of being singled out by Olga to this friendly intimacy, had proved a great tonic. It was quite clear that the existence of Mr. Shuttleworth constituted a hopeless bar to the fruition of his passion, and if he was completely honest with himself, he was aware that he did not really hate Mr. Shuttleworth for standing in his path. Georgie was gentle in all his ways, and his manner of falling in love was very gentle too. He admired Olga immensely. He found her stimulating and amusing, and since it was out of the question really to be her lover, he would have enjoyed next best to that being her brother, and such little pangs of jealousy as he might experience from time to time were rather in the nature of small electric shocks voluntarily received. 